The Sentinel's Intern by Nate Phelps Chapter 1 My wristwatch chirped at me in agitation. What's that? asked the cashier as she finished counting my money. I swiped my finger across the screen and a hologram appeared above it, detailing the situation. Crime in progress downtown, I said. I'm going to need that bread to go. Um, she looked around. We're a market, sir. Oh, right, I said, grabbing my bag and rushing out the door. I was so distracted I forgot the stairs out front. My bread went flying and I let out a yelp as I tumbled down the steps. You all right? asked an older gentleman. You lost this shoe. Yes, yes, thank you. I jumped up, grabbed my things, and ran. Loping down the sidewalk, I drew some confused looks, shoe in one hand and loaf of bread in the other. The tower was only a block away. It stuck out above the other buildings like a proud tree amongst the shrubbery. The massive monument to the old days had been my home since I'd arrived at Midhaven as an abandoned 11-year-old orphan. The dark-tinted windows shone brilliantly as they reflected the sunrise. The elevator was painfully slow as it pulled me towards floor 27. I tapped the worn-out button repeatedly until my watch chirped again. Someone's stealing extra rations, eh? I mumbled to myself as I checked the update. The door opened and I hopped out. Kleiner! yelled a cheerful voice. It was Professor Lavis. He was in full lab gear including purple gloves, white coat, black apron, and large safety goggles. His curly white hair and mustache stuck out at odd angles. Gerald, his son, was close on his heels. The boy was nearly a replica of his father, but with no mustache and red hair instead of white. The professor was holding test tubes in both hands containing a bubbling pink liquid. Careful with those, professor, I said as I rushed down the hall. How is the thesis coming, my boy? He walked beside me, trying to keep up. Great, I'm about halfway through. A crime just rolled in, so I'm going to go get more data. When are you going to give us another demonstration? The lab hasn't been the same since you started working with the city full-time. I'm afraid most of the other students lack your passion for the work. I'm passionate, whined Gerald. Of course you are, kiddo. I was excluding you, of course. Gerald grunted, seeming appeased. I'll do another demonstration soon, I promise. If my tools continue to work as well as they have, I'll have quite a bit to show you when I'm done. I've got to go now. Thanks for your help on the liquid nitrogen reservoirs. I'll test them out soon. My lab was at the end of the hall. I rushed in and slammed the door. There were tables lined with microscopes, vials, and papers detailed with various calculations. Most of the equipment was funded by the school, but I was starting to buy it back with my new salary. They didn't charge me tuition since I was an orphan and because I had some unique talents. I tossed the bread on the table without looking. This was followed by a crash and I winced. Oops. There wasn't time to clean up the mess. I had to get suited up. On the left side of the room sat the tools of my trade. Ice picks, foam canisters, hoses, metal tape, and more. I put on my flight suit and strapped Shania, my opinionated jetpack, to my back. She wasn't actually sentient, but it felt like it sometimes. Once she was secured, I arranged my equipment in my belt and attached the necessary canisters and hoses in their proper places before jumping up onto a wooden platform and thrusting the window open. Midhaven spread out before me like a tapestry. Other high-risers surrounded the facility, interspersed with small businesses and perpendicular streets. To the east, I could see the rolling fields of the agricultural district leading out all the way to the massive wall that surrounded our city and protected us from the spawn of death outside. Another notification went off, alerting me that Johnny had arrived at the crime scene. Shoot, I said out loud. Johnny couldn't be trusted to work alone. I slipped on the sleek black pilot glove. It activated, white lines trailing down the middle of the fingers, and I gave it a squeeze. Shania coughed and wheezed a few times before settling into her normal purr. I activated the locator on my watch and dived out the window. My eyes watered as the air rushed around me. I fell for several stories before I engaged the thrusters by squeezing my fist again. Shania sputtered, refusing to comply. This was not too disconcerting. 
She had been particularly sassy as of late. With a fling of my leg, I hit her with my heel. She sputtered again and then growled. The booster kicked in, pulling me out of my dive. I twisted my pilot hand and Shania responded by turning me sharply around the edge of the building. She propelled me down the west river which divided the business quarter from the living quarter. The same river moved the turbines that generated power for the city. I spotted one or two others sharing the airways with me, but most of the early commuters were restricted to the roads below. Only government employees were issued jetpacks. I dropped lower to the road, closer than I should have, and elicited a startled scream or two as I passed over pedestrians on their way to work. With one last sharp turn, my watch beeped, indicating that I had reached my destination. Easing up on my grip, I hovered at the corner of a dead-end street. There was no sign of Johnny, but I could see about a dozen muscle-bound men and women piling bags of flour, sugar, and other valuables into the back of two very beat-down black vans. From the looks of their clothing, gray jackets, and steel-toed boots, I assumed that they were Lutosians. Lutosa was one of our sister cities. A large group of their laborers had arrived earlier that week and then promptly scattered, avoiding the integration process completely. They had taken up residence deep in the business district where they could hide easier. Since then, food and supplies had started going missing regularly. I dropped to the ground and moved around the corner to get a better look. No one had noticed me yet. Lutosians were known for being big and brawny, but not for being the brightest. Move it! shouted the only thief not wearing a jacket. She had a deep scowl as she ordered the others around. These streets will be packed with workers in a few minutes. Hmm, I mused, pulling up the camera on my watch. I tapped the capture button and it let out an audible click. The lead thief spun around and spotted me. Hey, what are you doing there? She was huge, basically a boulder with eyeballs. Don't mind me, I said cheerfully. I'm just watching. She was about to say something, probably something very rude, but she hesitated. Then her eyes widened as she recognized me. This had been happening more and more frequently. Leave it, she barked at the other thugs, rushing to a van and yanking the door open. We have company. They immediately dropped the sacks and boxes they were holding and dove into the vehicles. You really are no fun, cleaner, said a voice behind me. I turned to see Johnny Q standing there. He was adorned in his iconic maroon suit with a dark gray cape and black boots. There stood the hero of our city. And he was holding a smoothie. It's Kleiner, I corrected. Sorry I ruined your surprise. You want me to hold that for you? I gestured at his drink. No thanks, you'll get your germs all over it. I rolled my eyes. How will you fight? He held his free hand against his chest as if offended. Really, Kleiner? I thought you knew me better than that. The wheels of the first van screeched as they accelerated towards us. They obviously hadn't seen Johnny yet. The second van was quick to follow. Is there any way you could take it easy today? I begged. No can do, muchacho, he said as he strolled into the middle of the street, still holding his drink. This is one of my few joys in life. I sighed. Too late, the drivers noticed Johnny, Midhaven Sentinel. The first van swerved to avoid him. Johnny cocked his leg back and kicked the rear wheel as they passed. The nuts ripped off and the wheel spun away. Sparks flew as metal ground on asphalt. The van fishtailed wildly before tipping onto its side and skidding to a halt. With a motion of my pilot hand, I zipped after the wheel as it bounced down the road. I grabbed it and laid it down gently as the second van slammed on the brakes. Johnny took a nice gulp of his smoothie before lifting it out of the way as the van crashed into him head on. The hood caved in and the back wheels came off the ground for a moment before slamming back down again. I noticed the driver bash his head against the windshield, knocked out cold. Maybe the rest would go down without a fight for once. Alas, the side doors on both vans slid back and the thugs rushed out carrying pieces of metal, pipe, knives, chains, and even a sword or two. Ooh, nice, said Johnny as one of the thugs brandished his blade. That's pretty. The man yelled and swung at Johnny. Johnny sidestepped the attack and kicked the man's legs out from under him. I have a couple concerns about your form. The rest of the, of the Lutosians rushed him. 
He dodged out of the way, laying well-timed blows that sent them staggering, all while keeping his drink aloft in his left hand. I watched the battle anxiously, knowing it would soon turn south. Sure enough, one of the idiots threw his pipe and missed Johnny completely. My foam gun was already out and I had just a split second to aim and fire. The attached hose jumped as I pulled the trigger and a glob of purplish goo popped out of the nozzle. It intercepted the pipe, completely encasing it. A moment later, the goo solidified and it dropped to the ground. Woo! I raised my hands victoriously. Did you see that shot? In a minute, said Johnny dismissively as he flipped a man onto his back. You never see it, I grumbled. I hovered around the edges of the battle, watching for stray missiles or downed thugs that might get funny ideas. One of them, a scrawnier, more normal-looking guy, stayed near the edge. He grabbed a street sign and pulled it back and forth, probably hoping to use it as a weapon. No, no, I said, puttering just above him. Grab something else. The man took a swing at me, so I foamed his foot to the road. He pulled at his leg, cursing loudly. It's your own fault, I said. Use a normal weapon next time. Johnny made quick work of the last of the criminals, and soon they lay in a heap in the middle of the road. All of them, that is, except for my friend by the street sign who was just stuck. Workers who had shown up to open their businesses now hung around the fringes enjoying the spectacle. They cheered and hollered. Johnny bowed dramatically. I was the only one that noticed the leader climbing out of the first van. Hey, you missed one, I said to Johnny, stifling a yawn. Johnny took no notice of me, still waving to his fans. The burly woman strode towards Johnny, wiping blood from her lip and reaching for her back pocket. I realized what she was grabbing a bit too late. Johnny, I shouted. Johnny, I shouted. She has a gun. Johnny was too slow. The Lutosian fired two deafening shots. They caught the hero in the back. Ah! He dropped to one knee. The crowd gasped in horror and the leader of the gang waited anxiously. A frenzied look spread across her features. The pain, wailed Johnny. I can't go on. The darkness, I'm fading. Johnny stood and spun around, a wide grin upon his face. Had you fooled, my friend? That does sting, though. No, howled the criminal, firing another two shots of her pistol into Johnny's chest. Only a Lutosian would waste expensive bullets like that. Johnny didn't flinch as they deflected off his skin, poking small holes in his suit. Idiot, I grumbled to myself. Someone could get hurt while he was playing around. You'll have to do better than that, said Johnny. The thug fired one final shot. It missed spectacularly and shattered Johnny's cup. Orange smoothie slopped into the street. The crowd gasped once more. Johnny Q stared at his empty hand for a moment before his gaze slowly turned to the gang leader. Don't do it, I begged. The woman looked at me and then back at Johnny before dropping her gun and running. In one jump, Johnny covered the distance between them and caught her by the belt. He turned and flipped her over his shoulder as she shrieked. I aimed and fired a glob. It missed the criminal completely. She crashed against the glass door of a bakery, spiderweb cracks spreading up and down the pane. A squat little man with a white apron rushed out of the crowd and slapped his hands to his head. My door! Thanks a lot, I growled at Johnny. No problem, he said, giving me a mocking salute. I hate you. Hate you too. Have fun. He leaped into the air like a rock from a catapult and disappeared over a row of buildings. The crowd clapped and cheered before they began to disperse. My store, bellowed the baker. What about my store? Here, I said, distractedly slapping my watch until a flat hologram expanded above it about a foot across. I scrolled through my menu and pulled up an insurance waiver. Sign here, please, I said, handing him a hologram pen from my belt. What's this? A recommendation for compensation as outlined in the 30th Redemptive Act, ratified year 67. You are liable to receive partial or total coverage based on your company's insurance and compatibility. Press this button for your own copy, and press this button for a further analysis of the terms and conditions of this agreement. I was only about halfway through the requisite spiel I was supposed to give, but if I wasted any more time, Johnny would surely take down a building or something, and I couldn't let that happen. That was my job. Is this all you can do? asked the annoyed man of pastries. 
I'll see to it that your store's looked after, I said. The glass in the door shifted and then fell to the ground in a loud rush. I groaned inwardly. The baker begrudgingly signed the form and I turned to leave. Um, excuse me? I turned to see a woman totally covered in foam from my missed shot. Only her head and her hands were sticking out. A little help? Ah, crap. A crime just rolled in, so I'm going to go get more data.